Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So one of the things that I have shared with you all by now is that uh, I love the game of soccer. Uh, I've played it for about as long as I can remember. And uh, even to this day, I still love to play and to watch. I mean, it's just something that I've always loved doing. Uh, But along with that, I've just always loved being active. And so I've played plenty of sports growing up. And uh, I remember in school, I was on uh, all kind of different teams. And I would always kind of try out for sports here and there uh, just to kind of keep me active and busy. Now, uh, this may be surprising to some of you, but I wasn't always this tall. No, uh, see, uh, I used to be even shorter. And, of course, interestingly, that usually uh, hindered me in some regard to my overall athletic ability. I was what you would call short and stocky. At least uh, that's what coaches used to say back then. And uh, I basically have kind of always had that same sort of stature, and that usually meant I was not the fastest kid on any sort of team, which will probably lead you to question why I'm telling you a story about when I used to run track. (laughs) Yes, I used to run track. Uh, It was in the eighth grade, and I did it because, well, some of my friends were doing it, but really I thought it'd be a good way to keep in shape right as spring soccer season was opening up. Uh, And so, again, I wasn't the fastest kid, so you weren't going to see me sprinting. And uh, long-distance training was better for soccer, but I wasn't really good at super long distances, so I ran what they would call mid-distance. In fact, the only event that I competed in was the 800-meter race, which is two times around a track. Now, uh, of course, training was okay. You know, I was hanging out with friends and learning the ropes, so to speak, but... The race is always different than uh, the training. Uh, Any sort of game is always different than practice. And so I remember my first race, how anxious I was, uh, how nervous I was as I kind of approached the starting line with all the other racers. I mean, it was a unique feeling to say the least. Now, if you've ever watched any sort of uh, track on TV, you probably haven't watched long distance. Uh, Most likely, you've seen sprints. I mean, that's what the Olympics normally show, and that's what we normally watch. And so everyone has their own separate lane. There's eight runners. It's kind of clear what's going on. Well, in distance running, everyone just lines up in the same, and there's a larger pack of people. And so I'm standing at the starting line with some of my teammates and then a bunch of other kids, and we're all getting ready to run this race. And just like that, pop! The gun goes off and the race begins. And I was feeling good. I got off to a great start. Uh, Remember, 800 meters is only two laps around the track. So about halfway into my first lap, I mean, I'm cruising. I am with the top five runners of this race. I was feeling pretty good. And everyone else was kind of pretty far off. But like I said, this was my first race. And that became evident very, very quickly. Uh, See, I was what people in the track community call the rabbit. Uh, Now, the rabbit is a reference to the fable of the tortoise and the hare. uh, And we all know who wins that race. Let's just say I didn't come in first here. Uh, See, the rabbit is a reference to someone who starts off really fast, but can't actually keep the pace that they're running at for a long time. And so uh, when I did finish the race, uh, my coach came over to me and said, Nick, good job, way to finish. But next time, let's try not to be the rabbit. I kind of looked at him perplexed until a teammate of mine explained to me what that meant. And then the teammate said, don't worry, man, I did it in my first race too. 
Now, I did feel comforted by that, though I certainly was rather embarrassed because I had no idea what it meant to be the rabbit, and it was my first race. I thought I was doing well until I wasn't. Among so many reasons that I could come up with as to why I didn't win that race, one of them is quite clear to me. I didn't have the same experience or the same perspective as any of those other racers. Uh, My perspective was pretty simple. Be as fast or faster than the people in front of you, or the first person. But, of course, that may have worked if I was in a sprint, but it certainly wasn't going to work when it comes to long distance. And I've come to realize that this sort of uh, experience and the reality of this perspective does not only apply when talking about a track or running a race, but it also applies to how we view our lives. Uh, And in comparison, of course, to the reality of how God sees our lives and his perspective over our life. See, God has a perspective and a plan for our life that we will simply never be able to have and we will never see. And at the exact same time, that brings us comfort because his word for us, his promises for us are still true. And so it shows us that we don't even need to have that perspective to know that God is still at work. And he reveals all of this to us through Jesus. And so we can be sure that his word is still true for us. Are you tracking with me? (laughs) I know you're all laughing. Don't spit your coffee out. Hold on. But that's the only pastor joke for this morning. Uh, See, as we move along in our text, we're in the gospel of Mark this morning. And in comparison to the other gospels, the gospel of Mark is certainly what you would call uh, a sprint. Uh, See, the other Gospels kind of like to lay out a lot of details and all the stories that they tell, but Mark wasn't like that. Mark didn't get bogged down with the details. He was short, sweet, and to the point. Uh, I mean, listen to how his Gospel begins. Verse 1, very clear about what his Gospel is going to tell us. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And just like that, we are off and running. Uh, See, in the first 20 verses of Mark's Gospel, We are told of all these different events. We're told about the ministry of John the baptizer. We're told about the baptism of Jesus, how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Jesus beginning his earthly ministry, and Jesus calling his first disciples. I mean, this is a fast and furious start to the ministry and life of Jesus. Uh, Just for comparison's sake, with uh, the other two synoptic gospels, Matthew and Luke, in those gospels that include most of these same stories, Those happen in four and five chapters, respectively. So what takes chapters in other Gospels, Mark does in 20 verses. And then in the next 20 verses, Mark just continues on. Uh, He then begins to tell about how Jesus heals a paralytic man, and he tells about how Jesus teaches in the synagogue, and he tells about how Jesus heals Peter's mother, and he casts out demons from all these people. The story is just coming and coming and coming right at us. And that's kind of how our text happens this morning. Mark, in verses 29 to 39, covers all these different events. And then just like that, it's almost like it's over in a flash. See, after all this happens, Jesus then finds some time away from everyone. And he settles down and he finds some time away to pray. And this was a common thing that Jesus would do, especially after being so active in being in front of so many people. So after Jesus finds a place to pray, 
and he prays. Eventually, the disciples find him, and they've been looking for him, and so have so many other people. I mean, there were crowds and crowds of people who have been witnessing what Jesus has done, and they just want to see him do more. So the disciples are coming to him, telling him, you know, Lord, there are so many people looking for you. And this is what Jesus says. In verse 38, he looks at his disciples and he says to them, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. Imagine being one of the disciples or one of the people in the crowd who uh, would have heard that this is what was happening next. That you've just witnessed all this incredible ministry done by Jesus. You've witnessed all this incredible work that he has done. You've seen him heal people. You've seen him teach in the synagogue with an authority that has never been seen before. You've seen him cast out demons and shatter darkness in the lives of so many, many probably even of your friends, maybe even in your own life. And with every passing moment, you witness as his reputation grows. You witness him literally bringing hope to these people. And when you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, when you really slow down and you consider all that Jesus has done, it's nothing short of miraculous. I mean, Jesus has faced disease and demon possession and, and even casting out demons and all kinds of darkness throughout these last few days. Every single time he has overcome all of those things. These people who are facing so many problems are witnessing as Jesus is overcoming each one of the problems in their lives. For the first time, perhaps, ever. These people have hope. And their hope is in Jesus, and it's because of Jesus. They're witnesses of his glory and his work. And they're craving it. They're searching for more of it. It's why they're looking for him that day. But the next thing you know, Jesus is ready to move on. He's gathering his disciples. And as the story says, he's ready to go on to the next town. I mean, as I was reading this, I really wondered, why is Jesus leaving these people now? I mean, these people clearly need Jesus. They clearly have a lot going on. So why would he leave now? And as I asked this question for those people, I began to realize that I was also asking it for myself. Even though I've never seen Jesus in the literal way that those people did, I know that I've seen Jesus at work. <laughs> I know that I've seen Jesus at work in my life and in the lives of others around me, in the world around me. I mean, we've all seen Jesus at work. Whether we recognize it all the time or at the right time is neither here nor there because Jesus is constantly at work. I mean, in some ways, we've seen Jesus go toe-to-toe with the darkness in our lives and bring us through it. And yet, if we're being honest it still doesn't always feel like Jesus wins. I know I'm constantly wrestling with that feeling, and, and maybe you are too. 
And maybe it's because of a constant battle with uh, anxiety or depression or uh, the, the doubts that the devil continues to sow. Maybe it's because of the sudden loss of a loved one and the experience of grief just gets heavier with every passing day. Maybe it's because of uh, the insecurities or or the doubts or the realities of uh, certain failures that you may have had in your life that just bring you down and that overwhelm you. Maybe you've just felt this way in the same way that those people felt back then. Why is Jesus leaving now? Hearing him say, let's go to other towns. And yet, in Jesus' response, we can be reminded of three very important things. That as Jesus answers his disciples, he is still working. Uh, The first thing is this. When Jesus responds to his disciples, we are reminded of the difference between our perspective on our lives and God's perspective in our life that he reveals through Jesus. I want you to hear again what Jesus says in verse 38, the entire response. He says, Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. Jesus doesn't say, let's just go to other towns. Uh, Jesus has a purpose for going to these other towns. He's not just going to travel to travel. Jesus is going to proclaim, to bring this message of hope to more and more people. Jesus is revealing here that the disciples' perspective, much like our own, is on the here and now, almost like a sprint. And we miss out on the reality of all that Jesus is focusing on. All that Jesus is continuing to do well beyond our own perspective. Jesus' desire is to bring this message of hope to more and more people. And so he knows that he has to keep on moving on. Because these people have heard this message, but there are so many who have not yet heard And so Jesus is already thinking about this next group of people. And he wants to continue to proclaim this message because he wants people to know that even when he goes to these other towns, this message, this hope is still true for them. It is still alive for them. But there are some who don't know it yet. And so he has to move on and to keep on going and share this message with others. And honestly, that brings peace Because it's a reminder that God is constantly at work. And what God reveals to us through Jesus is so much better than anything that we could ever see in our own perspective. And the second thing that we're reminded in Jesus' answer is that we're reminded that faith comes through hearing the word. See, the word that Jesus uses in his response when he says that he has to go and proclaim, it's often translated as preach. But the literal meaning of the word is to announce, to make known, to proclaim it out loud. So Jesus is is not just uh, going to whisper to people. He's going to proclaim out loud. He's going to make known the reality of hope. 
Hope that is alive, hope that exists, hope that is real for these people because Jesus is alive, because he is real. And they are experiencing and seeing that the same way that you and I have in our own lives. Jesus is going to share this message with those people. And it comes through hearing the word. This is why in his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus wants everyone to hear his word so that they too receive him. And the third thing that we're reminded of in this response from Jesus is this. We're reminded of our hope in Jesus and our constant need for it. We constantly need to be reminded of the hope that comes through Jesus. We constantly need to hear this message of hope proclaimed to us. It's why we come back at least once a week on Sundays or whenever perhaps you're watching worship to hear this message of hope. But we need that daily. This is why we talk about spending time in God's word because we see and experience the message of hope in God's word as it is proclaimed to us, as his promises are made known to us over and over again. We're in daily need of the reminders that he overcomes the darkness. We're in daily need of the reminders that he casts out the demons. We're in daily need of the reminders of how great his love is for us. That Jesus loves us so much that he died for us. And that he rose again from the dead. And he brings us new life. We're in need of this reminder of hope. That no matter what pain or sorrow or grief we are experiencing. That nothing, nothing can take away this hope that we have in Jesus. Church, the reality here is that as Jesus is heading on to another town, that while to us it may sound like he's leaving those people behind, and sometimes we feel as though he has left us behind, it's the reality that the opposite is true. That as Jesus goes on to other towns, he brings us with him. We who are believers in him. We who know of the hope that comes through him. We who are followers and who cling to his hope. This message of hope that the world is so desperately in need of and Jesus is going on to proclaim it. And so we give thanks that we have heard this message. We give thanks for all that Jesus has done for us, for all the darkness that he has overcome, for all the battles that he continues to fight with us and for us and brings us through. We give thanks for Jesus, for his message of hope that we have heard and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we believe and that we cling to as we go and share it to a world, to those who are so desperately in need of this message of hope. That no matter where Jesus goes, we go with him also. That his hope is in us. And so that no matter where you are, you carry the hope of Jesus within you. Because Jesus is alive and his hope in you, the hope that you have in him, is alive. 
now and forever. My prayer is that today you dwell on the excitement and the joy that comes through this hope. The reality that hope continues to live in each and every one of you because of Jesus. He's in you and he is alive. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.